welcome to the Rock Music Alliance interview sessions. I am your host, Cole Coleman. On the show today, you know his keyboard playing from his time with The Sweet, also Crow, and world-class rockers. When we come back, I'll be speaking with Stevie Stewart. Attention guitar players, join the Thimble Slide revolution and free your slide finger. With its patented shape, you can slide and fret while wearing the Thimble Slide. Visit thimbleslide.com. That's thimbleslide.com. We're back and speaking with Stevie Stewart of The Suite. And hanging out today is Claudio Pesavento from Mahogany Rush and Chris Squire Band. Claudio, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. All right, man. We're all holding up together. Got my hair. Yeah? Did you get your hair cut? <laughs> Looks a little shorter. <laughs> yeah, we're all holding up during this pandemic. Uh, how are you holding up, Stevie, in during this pandemic? I'm holding up. You know, this is, I've been with my wife over 30 years. And this has really proved our marriage out because, you know, we used to think that we had a 30 year marriage because I was gone all the time. But now we realize they actually can live in the same house for a year without killing each other or having the police over. <laughs> wow. With, with that, I'm doing really well. But, you know, it's been a terrific blow because my wife is in the restaurant industry. And so their restaurant is closed. And, of course, there's no shows. And also, I lost a really dear bandmate this year in Sweet. So oh, it's yes. been a difficult yes. year for us. And... Um, it's a little hard to keep the chin up sometimes, I got to be honest. But, uh, you know, we'll get through this. Uh, it's just, we're all going through this. Everybody's got a different level of, of uh, what it's doing to them. And we're getting our ass handed to us, but we're, we're going to get through it. <laughs> Excellent. Well, well said. Well, you know, um, what I wanted to find out first uh, was what are you doing right now um, with your latest projects and recordings? Well, um, the suite right now is, is kind of in a state of we're not really sure forward. Uh, we we kind of have a plan that we would play. We're not really sure exactly how that's going to play out. I mean, it's, it's, it's a huge thing to have lost Steve Priest. Um, we do have an arrangement with Steve Priest's wife, uh, owns all of his, you know, trust fund and everything. And they, and they've, Richie Honori and myself were partners with Steve. We had a company. Um, and so uh, when he left, she took the place. And so we've, you know, we've been trying to just keep the doors open with the company. Uh, you know, we have, we got saddled with a, a pretty good debt because of the pandemic hit. And we had bought a bunch of flights and prepared to do a tour. We were going to be doing about 50 shows this past year. And so it just really hit the brakes in the whole music business and, and including that. Um, yeah, I got you. And you know, that, that's an aspect of it that, that a lot of people may not realize. Uh, but a lot of bands, like you just mentioned, uh, they've already scheduled tours and that, that includes, you know, airplane flights and hotels and all that. Like you just said, you just, the, the band just got stuck with all that debt. We got uh, stuck with it. We yeah. just got stuck with it. And, uh, and then of course, Steve passed, he had a, he had a bad, case of uh it wasn't covid it was actually just a pneumonia that was so bad that he just he just could not get off the respirator and and physically you know he had he had been uh he had had his health issues for years 
but it just was enough that he couldn't, you know, he just couldn't pull through. So, um, yeah, we want to mention to our, yeah, I want to mention to our listeners that, you know, sadly, Steve Priest uh, died last year on June 4th. 2020, uh, you know, right as this pandemic was really starting to hit hard. And um, yeah, so as you were saying, he died of pneumonia, but uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people think it was COVID, but it wasn't. Exactly. Exactly. I think, I think when the news broke, I think everybody immediately just went to, oh, COVID got him, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but it wasn't, it was just, just pneumonia. Yeah. Uh, How did, how did you find out that he died and, and how did it affect you and the band? His wife called me immediately, um, like within moments uh, after they, uh, and then uh, how it affected me is it just, uh, I, I, I haven't got words for it. I mean, he was a dear friend. We, we played for 13 years together. And I think I can easily say that I tried harder than anybody else to try to make sure Steve was comfortable. And, and I always, I always, uh, respected his needs. And, um, I made sure that he got on and off the stage correctly. I made sure that he was comfortable everywhere he was at. I, uh, I, I just, it was my whole goal to make sure that he was happy and willing to do this. And literally every single time we would go on the road, we'd meet on the, meet at the airport. I would say, you know, you don't have to do this you know, and he'd say, I want to do this. You know, Steve was, was, uh, he was not a morning person. So when we met at the airports, he was usually really crabby. (laughs) So I'd always say, Hey, how are you, mate? You know, you don't have to do this. And he'd say, Oh, I want to do this, you know? And then he, he would, it would always, every show he would light up, you know? And then when, when we got home, I would say, you know, you don't have to do this. You can, you know, you could take some shows off. You, we could get a sub. We could throw in the towel. It's up to you. And he wanted to go. He wanted to keep playing. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. I, I think most musicians I've spoke with really, really want the same thing. It's like they want to keep going and keep going, you know, right to the end, you know. Yeah, most of them do. I mean, I know some that you couldn't. You couldn't pay them to play. I mean, I don't care what it is. There's no way they're playing. <laughs> you know, I don't know why that is, but um, Steve loved to play. You know, it affected, it just, it's losing a dear friend. You know, we, we played all over the world together. I learned a lot from him. And I think he learned a lot from me. And, and uh, we just, you know, we went out there and we did that. We had an amazing run. I mean, we were together longer than this suite, actually, <laughs> you know. Are there, are there any plans to continue with Sweet uh, now that he's gone? Um, well, Andy has, you know, Andy's still going and he just, he just dropped a, a record. And we did, we did just drop a, uh, we did a tribute video that um, we, we just felt like we needed to do something in honor of him. And we did have some new material that we had worked up with him and but i don't know i mean it just there's there's just a lot of uh it's it's just kind of hard to to really know whether we're going to go forward as the suite or if we're going to go forward as another version of it or or what but as of right now we're just you know we haven't really done anything and and deciding to do shows we don't have any shows so we haven't had to make that decision 
what we've basically done is we've just, we have the company. So we're trying to keep the website alive and do honoring Steve by, I, 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 Claudio and I developed the shirt. Actually, it was Claudio that helped me develop it. That's the Remembering Steve shirt. And uh, just trying to pay back some of the some of the debt that we got saddled with when the pandemic hit, you know, and um, really that's all we've been focused on at this time. You know, sure, we'd love to just go run with it and go wild and and share the whole message with the world, you know, and right, right. Way to go, Claudio, helping out with that. Yeah. He wanted you guys to continue playing. Well, he did, you know, I mean, definitely he did. Yeah, but you know, it just it, it's all gonna depend on how it feels when the time comes around and everybody starts going out. I mean, obviously we all want to play, you know. And I think that the the fans deserve to hear the sweet music played in this band was great. Paulie was amazing. And of course, Mitch Perry on guitar, you know, he's just one of the world's greatest guitar players, you know, and, uh, you know, I was, there's talk of, uh, we basically, we we're gonna, if we do and when it will be me on bass. And cause I know how to play the whole set. That's, that's interesting. I just, I learned it over the years. I always did the sound check on bass with the guys and, uh, you know, I just, there's nobody that plays Steve Priest like I do, <laughs> you know? And so um, that, that's one of the scenarios, you know, but there's no actual formal commitment right now of anything. I got you. I got you. Uh, let people buy merchandise and uh, try to pay back this debt, you know? And then, uh, you know, that's, I personally think that, uh, you know, Maureen, Steve's wife, uh, she she holds the the trademark, you know, of the suite, and so I I feel like what I'd like to do is try to get something where we get that shirt, you know, the the logo and the shirt, and do some major merchandising with it because it should be right in there with the Rolling Stones and the and the Foreigner shirts and all these shirts you see at J.C. Penney's. It should be sweet too. Yeah, that'd, be, so that, that'd be that's terrific. something Richie and I have been trying to work on. I get the feeling you guys are going to work that out. And uh, so I, I'll be I'll be looking for that summer tour. You know, when when summer finally rolls around and the pandemic's over, I think you guys will be there. I think the fans will dictate it, to be honest with you. You know, that's that's kind of what we're we're looking at, you know, is is support and and love to know that, you know, this is the right thing to do. So, so when did, when did you start working with Sweet and, and how did that happen? Well, it's a, it's another one of these stories that's, that's really uh, got a interesting little notation to it is I was in the World Classic Rockers, which is an all-star band. And we were booked through William Morris. It was my dear friend, Nick St. Nicholas from Steppenwolf that started it. And I was in the inception of that band. And uh, so we had all kinds of name brand musicians in this band and we were out playing all over the world and I had a show I was getting ready to go do this is in 2007 and my stepfather who also was a musician that played with Danny and the juniors in the 50s he was a drummer hmm. uh, at the hop um, and anyway he he uh, he was very ill and I got a phone call that he had to go to the hospital as I was packing to drive down to San Diego 
and they took him to the hospital. And as I was driving to San Diego, they called me and told me that he passed away. Oh, man. And so I had to play a show that night with world classic rockers. And I just remember playing that show and feeling like my dad was in the lights and all, all this. It's very surreal to have to, you know, as musicians, we have to go and play a show under the, you know, learning the worst possible uh, news. And, and this is one of those days I find out that my dad dies and I have to go play a show. I, I can't even imagine uh, that particular circumstance. That's uh, that's that's quite incredible to carry on with the show. But but you're but you're right. I mean, musicians routinely uh, are called upon to perform when there's all kinds of stuff going on in their own private lives that are difficult, you know. But they but they go out there and they do it. And that's that's one of the things about live performance and, and musicians. It's uh, it's it's one of the things that kind of makes us think of, think of musicians more as more as warriors. You know, it's like you're soldiering on despite all this. You know. The show must go on, you know, it's, uh, it's nobody cares, you know, I mean, they care, but it's not, you know, what am I supposed to do, you know? Uh, And so I play my set and we all have, you know, cheers and stuff afterwards in the dressing room. And I, the next morning I drive back to LA and I get a phone call asking if I wanted to be in the suite. And so that's how I found out. It was, it was very weird. It was almost as if my father passes away and this new opportunity shows up in my lap. And so I said, Hey, you know, I'm very interested, but I, my dad just died and now I got to go to Florida. And I, my mother has Alzheimer's, had Alzheimer's at the time. So we had to fly over there really fast and get her safe because she didn't know what was going on. Neighbors had to rally around. It was a really crazy time with my mother having Alzheimer's and my father dies and I have to get over there. And so I said, look, I got, I'm interested, but I got to go do this, you know, take care of business. And I took me a month to take care of the business. They said, no problem, whatever you got to do. And I did. And so I, I called the guys and said, I want to do it. Let's do it. And we started having rehearsals after I wrapped up my mother and got her back out to LA to live with my sister. And we started up in 2007. That's great. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you were able to hang on to the opportunity through that difficult time. You know, yeah, congratulations on that. You know, thank you. It, yeah. It's you know, uh, adversity it makes you stronger, or or you cave in, and, and you know, if it doesn't make you stronger, you're just going to cave in. Is the way I look at it. I've lived a, a life filled with it. My wife is a two times cancer survivor. She, uh, she had a stage three breast cancer that just, just nearly killed her too. And she had Hodgkin's before and, and I've had two major spine surgeries. We've just gone through a lot of, a lot of, uh, personal health issues and, and tragedy. And, uh, so, you know, it's wonderful to be able to do music as a living and, and watch people enjoy themselves and, I I call it a price, you know, it's, there's a price for everything in life, you know, as great as your life is, is as bad as it is too. And so these great big concerts we play and you're standing there and you're just in the glory of your life, there's a price. And the price sometimes is, and quite often is, is, is a lot of adversity and, and uh, tribulation and trials that go hand in hand. Yeah, that's really something, man, and and very true. I've I've noticed that 
and with the uh, musicians I've known as well. Uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of turmoil. Yes. Let's take a pause right here for the RMA, and we'll be right back. It's time that rock music has its own awards, the RMA Awards, its own scholarships, charity events, and more. And only you can make it happen by joining the Rock Music Alliance and voting in the RMA Awards. You can join as either a musician, an industry professional, or if you just love rock music, you can join as a patron of rock. Everyone can join, and everyone gets to vote. Join the Rock Music Alliance. Go to rockmusicalliance.com. That's rockmusicalliance.com. Hey, this is Stevie Stewart from The Suite, and I'm telling you, you got to join the Rock Music Alliance. So uh, after Steve Priest put together his version of Sweet here in L.A., at that moment, were, were there two versions of Sweet going on? Yeah. Uh, Andy decided he was going to grab the name and, and do it. And it, basically, Steve, uh, for whatever reason, didn't contest it. And he didn't have the wherewithal to stop Andy from doing what he was planning on doing. And Andy went and became the sweet. And uh, so, yes, there was two of them running around. There has been. And, um, you know, I I think that's the scenario for several bands nowadays as we're getting on in years and they've broken up and there's, you know, there's a couple versions of of many many bands now. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of of funny, uh, you know, kind of strange. But if you think about it, the fans win, you know, it's like, it's kind of cool to have a couple different, different versions and, and be able to check out the music from maybe two different angles. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of cool. That is, that's very true. The fans do win. They, they get double the double, you know, everybody's kind of gone their own way and then they, they're going to do more of it. Like, like, you know, the cars, the new cars, like, you know, great white or whatever. There's just so many of them. You could have an award for the best, of the two versions of bands. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know who's going to win that. No, I know. That's what I'm the saying. The fans have already spoken on that. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. It's interesting. I'm talking about every band. Every band, they have, you know, different versions, you know? Yeah. That would be something. Imagine... Uh, when I was much younger and watching the classic rock bands evolving through time, that's when that first occurred to me. It's like, wow, I wonder, like some of these bands have been going on for 40, 50 years now, and, and you see them evolving into institutions, you know, and, and you wonder, it's like, well, what's going to happen? Like once Pete Townsend's gone and Roger Daltrey, I mean, will somebody, will, will there be an official guitar player taking over and will the band go on? And before you know it, it's a hundred years go by and there's, there's still a who out there, you know? <laughs> Well, you know, uh, Gene, Gene Simmons said that there will be Kiss long after Paul, Paul and I die. He wants that to be the case. It very well could happen. I mean, and, and we're because we're only re- we're just reaching that moment in time, really, when when that sort of thing is sadly happening. You know, where the original founding members are passing away, and and it becomes a question: Will they, you know will the band somehow go on? And, and like I say, at first, I think it was controversial. Uh, you know, whether that would be legitimate or not, but I, I, I still think it's kind of cool. And, and once again, the fans win. 
the fans <laughs> win and you're very right and and the other thing is that we have to realize is that the younger generation they don't get the opportunity to taste and feel it the way we did because we were there they weren't there they see this on youtube and and they see all the cool old videos and they are they just want to see any part of that in any way shape or form and we see we see we see people in the front five rows that are all kids i and i do mean like 10 years old to, to 20 yeah and they're singing the lyrics of the deep tracks they know hellraiser they know teenage rampage they know the the, the words you know mm-hmm. better than us probably <laughs> and so so that's yeah. another one of the beautiful things of of social media is that it's allowing our younger generation to really consume what we did when you know in the 70s and 60s and and be able to reflect on it and look at it but then they really want to go see somebody play it you know so mm-hmm. this is just making the case that that we're going to do it <laughs> yep i think i think so there's, there's going to be sweet out there on tour <laughs> yeah. you, have, you have two songs on two major movies well we have yeah well the you know ballroom blitz and fox on the run has you know obviously they're just they're institution songs they're they're household word songs you know and and they've been used in many movies you've got i couldn't even count how many movies they've been that was just it was just recently in guardians of the galaxy that they used fox on the run and it was the number one track on their soundtrack and it pushed it was it, it pushed the song to number one again <laughs> you know after what 40 years, all of a sudden the song gets pushed to, to number one because the director loved the suite and wanted to use the song, you know? Yeah, and cool. I guess it was because of, it was because of the, there's a fox in the movie. Oh, uh-huh. So he thought, fox on the run is perfect, you know? So, yeah, so Stevie, so taking us back in time now, uh, where were you born and raised? I was born in Minneapolis, Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota. Right. And uh, born in a little suburb north of Minneapolis called Fridley. And, and uh, I was from a divorced family. My mother divorced uh, when I was quite young. And uh, it was a very musical family. My mother's whole side was all very musical. They were choir directors and writers and, and producers and, and whatnot in, in music. And my mother was very talented. My grandmother was amazing piano player by ear and I grew up uh I was very hyper and they didn't know what hyper was then uh, when I was three years old they brought me into a one of these clinics Washburn clinic to see what was wrong with me because I was bouncing off of the walls but what all it was was that I just had music going on you know mm-hmm. and so they gave me pots and pans to go in the basement and play with and I set them up like a drum set and I would play them like drums. And I would put, I, I was three years old and I would turn on the radio and sit and pound to those things. And then uh, I, my mother had a piano. So I could just, as soon as I could reach the piano, I started playing that and I could just play it. She would play a song and I would watch her and listen and I would play it. And uh, so I was a child prodigy. And uh, so I got in, I, there was really no question I was going to be in music, in music and as a musician and started playing 
professionally when I was like 13, 14 years old. What drew you to one instrument or the other? Like, like why didn't you stay with like drums or was there something that drew you into keyboards? I, I did stay with drums. I played all the way through high school, but um, the reason I, I just played piano because we had one there. And, and my stepfather, when my mother remarried, uh, her, her new husband was the guy who played in Danny and the Juniors, my stepfather. He's who passed away when I got the phone call for the suite. So he, w- he came in and he was a drummer. He brings in this beautiful Ringo Blue Oyster Ludwig drum kit when he moved in, you know. And I was just like drooling and just, oh my God. I had like this drum set when I was like eight years old, you know. And uh, so he knew I could play and he knew I could play piano. And he all of a sudden sold the drum set. And I was just pissed. Uh, what the hell? Why do you, he said, because you'll never write a song on the drums. Play the piano. Ah, uh, uh, how about that? So I was like, oh, you bastard, <laughs> you know. And um, I still continued playing drums throughout, you know, high school and stuff like that. But I just gravitated to the piano. And then he took me to a music store and, and had me pick out uh, an organ. I picked out a Farfisa. And then that, I was probably 12. I mean, who buys a Farfisa when they're 12, you know? And then I traded it in two years later for my first Hammond. Wow. I was like 14 years old and I had a Hammond. That's, that's pretty incredible. At, at 14, man, yeah. Yes, yeah. I was playing with people that were in their 20s when I was that age. Yeah, because you, you, you had the Hammond. <laughs> I had the Hammond, exactly. And I was young enough to be yeah. able to, to carry it. We have those stories. What's that? I, me too. I started to play with older people, but because I have a nice uh, Fender Rhodes and a Mini Moog. <laughs> exactly. That's right. Yeah. See, keyboard players, they, they don't even understand us. They just know that they need one. And whoever's got the gear gets the gig, you know, <laughs> and, and then you prove yourself. You yeah. know, quite often keyboard players don't even audition. It's just like, oh, you oh, have yeah. a Hammond? Cool. You're in. All right. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but you know, I mean, it it, it is true. Uh, the uh, the musician must rise to the occasion. So yeah, it's true. You know, having having great gear might open a door, uh, but you have to rise up and still still fill the shoes. True, but I had good ruts since I had you know yeah since I had the music in the family. You know, I was listening to Motown and I was listening to fifties and all this, and I mm-hmm. and I got it. And so I from that point, I just started playing in bands through high school, and then I got into. Um, Nick St. Nicholas moved to Minneapolis. He was looking for his children from one of his marriages. And uh, Nick St. Nicholas from Steppenwolf is a dear friend of mine and always will be. We, we speak from time to time. And uh, uh, he, he was in Minneapolis and I got a phone call to go audition. And I got the gig right away because I could play Steppenwolf and I could sing it and all that. So I was 22 years old and I was run, 20 or 22 years old and I was running with, with Nick St. Nicholas and a bunch of older guys. You know, these guys were like in their 40s, 30s and 40s. And I was playing with them all over the, all over the country. And uh, then I left that band and just had to take a break because I kind of never really had, my childhood kind of was, you know, it wasn't like Michael Jackson, but I mean, I, I was in music all my life. So I didn't really know what it was like. I always wanted to be in 
in a baseball league or whatever, you know, and I left and it wasn't even no time. And I got a call from uh, the band Crow, which had a hit called Evil Woman. They were a really big band in the 70s. They had a good, they had a good run. I played with that and then decided that, you know, unless I'm going to go play with Prince, <laughs> I'm, which isn't going to happen, um, you know, because he already had his keyboard player. I got to go to L.A. So I moved to L.A. in 92. Mm-hmm. And that's when I came out here with my wife. And I had a one-year-old son, Ryan, and my wife, Sally. And we came out to L.A. with, like, a truck full of our shit and, and like, you know, $300. <laughs> and we came out here and we got an apartment in Hollywood. And we stayed there for 18 years in that apartment. Wow. And I got in with Nick again because Nick came back to LA and that's when he started World Classic Rockers. So um, I, when I moved to LA, I, I ran an ad in the, in the Music Connection, mm-hmm. just put Stevie Stewart, Vintage Keyboards. And I, I think I did like 10 records that first year. Oh, wow, man. That's fantastic. Hey, I, I just, just for the listeners, I want to mention um, Music Connection is a magazine and it's, it's just a terrific magazine full of all kinds of, of knowledge about the business uh, you know the the industry side of the business as as well as uh, the musician side of the business. So anybody listening out there, go check out musicconnection.com. It's definitely worth your while to check it out. Absolutely important for the local scene. They they always you know everybody everybody local gets a good crack on that. It's it's a good man. Go look at it. So I did that ad and I did a bunch of records and then I got in with Nick and we started with World Classic Rockers. And the next thing you know, I'm doing fly-in shows all over the world for really good money. And uh, I was there for 13 years until I got the, the call for Sweet. And that's, that's really something, man. World Classic Rockers really helped me grow up because we had Spencer Davis and we had Randy Meisner, the one of the co-founder of the Eagles. He's a dear friend of mine. And, uh, and uh, well, Bobby Kimball for a while from Toto. And then Fergie Fredrickson came in from Toto. And, and we had guys from Skinner. We had, we had guys from Boston. I played with Barry Gaudreau from Boston. He was just a gem. And then Fran Cosmo, he's still there. And Alex Liegertwood from Santana who's one of the greatest singers on the planet. That dude is just a gem. And uh, Michael Monarch, who uh, is another child prodigy that uh, was in Steppenwolf when he was 17 years old. He recorded uh, Born to be Wild. <laughs> oh, right. Michael Monarch is a gem. He's a great guy. And so all these cats, you know, I played with that and I learned, I learned an awful lot, you know. Um, Denny Lane from Wings. And they taught me a lot, you know. They they kind of brought me into the the big leagues, so yeah, to speak. Yeah, yeah. You know, this is this is how we really roll, you know. Let's pause our conversation here and take a listen to these important words from the Rock Music Alliance and the RMA Awards for rock, metal, and prog music. Hey, I'm Cole Coleman here to talk a little bit about the Rock Music Alliance. The Rock Music Alliance is an international organization of musicians, industry, and those of the public who are patrons of rock. Our main focus is to produce the RMA Awards for rock, metal, and prog music. And you can be a part of it all. 
When you join the Rock Music Alliance, you can send in music entries for yourself and your favorite established artists. And you get to vote in the RMA Awards. So join the Rock Music Alliance and be a part of it all. Don't wait. Be proactive. Join and vote. Go to rockmusicalliance.com. That's rockmusicalliance.com. Hey, this is Francesco DeCosmo from Thin Lizzy and Evanescence, and you have to join the Rock Music Alliance. Just circling back a little bit, Stevie, I wanted to ask you about, uh, did you have like private lessons growing up, or was it more formal training? I had, well, my mother was a piano teacher, um, but I, my ears were very fast, and I, I really had a disability with, with uh, I, I have severe dyslexia. Oh my. So yeah. reading notes, I knew my whole notation and I played drum music perfectly, but they always were on the same, right? So uh, drum music is, if you know, people know drum music, they're always like the hi-hat's always on one thing, the bass drum is down below and the snare is on like the, you know, the E or whatever. And so it was always the same. And I knew my rhythm notation because I took lessons from the time I was five all the way through high school on drums. So I knew that. But in doing it with the grand staff, it was a, just a cluster in my brain because of my dyslexia. Wow. And so it was, it was, and my ears were so fast, I would play the thing as soon as I heard it. So if the instructor played it, I just play it. And I wasn't reading. And they'd say, I know that? you're not reading because you missed that note and you missed that note. You know, and, you know, and so I went to specialists. They, you know, I was, I was actually could have been a concert pianist, but it was all about that reading problem, you know? And so what I do, my thing now is like people get puzzles or play chess. Now I am studying reading again and I've, I've read through some monster pieces of music now. I've, I've, I'm doing, uh, I'm doing the, the biggest Beethoven piece there is all three pieces and um, reading through them, it takes me like forever. But once I get through that portion, then the brain kicks in and my ears kick in and I can just play it amazingly. So I, I did go, I mean, I went to schools. I do know my, my theory. I actually enrolled in college to become a piano teacher at one time. That was one of the in-between things, right? You know, after I played with Nick, I went to, I was going to be, I was just going to be a music teacher. But just a severe learning disability regarding the, the dyslexia. So reading didn't, doesn't come real easy, but I can compose. I can write everything. I can do it all. It's just that I can't read it. Like I could never sit down and do a piano gig at a, at a, like a, a J.C. Penney's or like a Macy's piano player or any of that. I dream of being able to pull stacks of music and just play through them. Oh, my God, that would be beautiful. Yeah. But it's just, so it's mostly just talent. It's, it's just, you know, inborn talent. That part of your brain is uh, very developed uh, for, uh, for listening. You know, I guess it'd be like ear and hand coordination. You're, you're able to hear stuff and play it. Yes. Yeah. So uh, you're, you're in good company. There's just an infinite list, it seems, of especially rock players that really don't have any formal training, although you do, you have formal training. But like a lot of guys, a lot of guys can't read music, but they can sure write it. They can create. You know, you don't you don't you don't have to be able you don't necessarily have to be able to formally write or orchestrate to be creative. You can still be a great musician. 
you're right. A, a dear friend of mine, Ed Smart, he's a great composer. Uh, he, he said to me once, because I was always jealous, because he has a master's in music and all this, you know, and he said, yeah, but Stevie, all that does is prove what you're already doing. Right. You know, right. With all the theory and all the reading and all that, it's just proving what you do naturally. So, yeah. I mean, why would yeah. you torture yourself? trying to prove what you already do. <laughs> yeah, I, I like to tell people, you know, music, like being able to write and read and all that stuff, that just describes what music is. You know, it helps, it's the, it's the mechanics of, of what music is. But, but what the experience of music is, is really coming from just a, a pure, a place of pure creativity. You know, it's, it's your ability to create sound and, and harmonize. And that has absolutely really nothing to do with being able to read or write it, you know. That's right. Yeah. That sheet of paper doesn't do anything. Yeah, exactly. No, yes. Or like another a friend of mine, uh, a great bass player. Um, oh, my God, his name just, just jumps. But anyway, he, he, people used to say, oh, you're such a genius. That bass sounds amazing, man. And he'd set it down in the corner and say, how's it sound now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy, good point. That's a good point. Yeah. But yeah, so many people, I mean, um, you know, I, I think it was Lionel Richie. Uh, I, I heard say in an interview once, um, I forget what song he had done that year. It was, it was a, one of his huge hits, you know, and they asked him, how did you, how did you write that? You know, and, and, and he revealed that he, at that moment, he doesn't know how to read. He doesn't know how to read or write music, but, yeah, but he still wrote one of the world's hugest you know pop songs of that of that year neither does uh, mccartney there you go mccartney uh, the list goes on and on i mean with me it's just now it's it's like uh my puzzle you know i like to read something i pick a piece of music because i want to challenge myself to actually read through this thing yeah hey claudio how about you are you a uh, music reader or is it all from ear all by ear all by ear yeah but i learn i learn how to how to read chord changes because I was playing a lot of jazz gigs. So if you know the chord changes, you don't have to read the chord changes. That's all you need, basically. Yeah. And, and the talent to write a song, the talent to create something, uh, once again, it doesn't come from... Create and like to improvise. Yeah, it, it doesn't... Being able to create and write doesn't come from that place. It comes from creativity. Claudio is one of my favorite keyboard players. He's, he's got the most amazing scales and runs that he does and, and structure of chords. But he's a prog guy. He, those guys are, they're a different animal. I was just rock and roll, you know, we just, we do like triads and just simple stuff, you know, organ and whatnot. But him, he's like, I, I just, I love when he takes a lead because he's got really cool, uh, uh, scales. He doesn't just do normal scales. They're very weird harmonics. Yeah. Claudio's yeah. good, good man. Yeah, Claudio's definitely a, a good player. I've I've seen him on uh, Facebook when he he does his improvisations. You know, it's really terrific playing. I don't think a lot. That's why. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Let it happen. Yeah, I've heard that before from some music uh, teachers. You know, don't overthink it. Just play it. <laughs> There's no time to think. When I go to the studio to record in, in the 80s, I play a fucking amazing part, and the guy didn't record it. <laughs> That's why often in recording, it's, it, the first take is the best, because you just that's when you really you just do what comes naturally. And then you start to think about the track, and you start to you know, overwork it, and then the next thing you know, it's, it's just a piece of shit, you know? 
So, Stevie, I wanted to ask you, you know, being a Hammond B3 player going through high school and, and in your early 20s, you know, you must have done some Yes and ELP music. I did, actually. Um, yeah, I, I, I played some of that. I, I Absolutely. Um, and, and actually, I, I really dug Pink Floyd. I, I dug Richard Wright was really a good, yeah. cool, cool organ player, mm-hmm. you know. Of course, John Lord. John Lord, number one. Yeah, you know, I mean, you had to play John Lord, but I also loved Goldie Goldie from Steppenwolf. That was, see, because he was very percussive. It was, you know, and that really resonated. Greg Raleigh. Yeah, I know Greg. um, Played all that stuff. That's why I could play that world classic rocker gig, because I just had all that in the bag, you know. Yeah. Hey, um, being here in Los Angeles now, have you attended the the jams in Hollywood, like the ultimate jam at the Whiskey? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Polly, well, Polly, the MC is our our lead singer in Sweet. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, definitely. And even before he was, you know, he uh, I don't know if he was MCing it back, but uh, Joe Retta was our singer for up until Polly. And Joe was doing that. I used to go to it when I was at Lucky Strike. Um, I don't know if you remember going in them days. Before it was at the Whiskey, it was at the Lucky Strike in Hollywood. Yeah, I never made it to the uh, Lucky Strike. I I remember seeing it and hearing about it. I started going to the Ultimate Jam at the Whiskey just this last September, um, a year ago, September, yeah, and and so I just started going, and a few months later, this this pandemic hit, and you know, aced yeah, me out of it. So. Shut down. I know. <laughs> yeah, so I so I just started having a good time up there when when all this hit. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a good time. It it just there's everybody in town has been through those doors. You know, it's 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 a pretty fun hang. Hey, uh, uh, in addition to keyboards, I also see uh, you know you play drums, you play some guitar, and um, um, a little guitar. I I you know mm-hmm. a, enough to do a recording. That's about it. So, so are, are you doing any um, production? Yes, I, I write and record. I've got hundreds of songs. I've uh, I spent a good ten years with a writing partner who is a childhood friend of mine. His name's Kim Thomason. He actually is a comic from uh, the the comic duo the Stagebenders. Go check them out. They're called the Stagebenders, and they were a comedy duo that went through Groundlings and Second City TV, and they're very, very good comics. And we wrote uh, together, he wrote a lot of the lyrics, and I wrote a lot of the music, and we collaborated, and we've probably got 100 songs. Um, I've done stuff for TV, for film. I uh, just recently have, uh, I just produced the track that The Suite just put out. I did that one. And, and, uh, I'm working also with Claudio. We, uh, our friend Richie Inari, he's got his blues messenger, and Claudio's a keyboard player in all most of all that. But I, I've played on a couple tracks there, and I, I just uh, did a mix for one of the songs on that. So I, yeah, I have a, like everybody else, I have a studio at home, and I have a, right, actually right. I have, I have I have the real stuff. I have a, a real great Yamaha C three. Uh, grand piano and I have the Hammond and I've got clavinet and I've got Moog and I've, I've got all the vintage keys. So, um, it's kind of helps the recording sound a lot more rich, you know, using microphones and instruments is, 
so much better than just using samples. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to ask about that. So since you have the, um, you know, these uh, classic rigs, so in in your studio, you're you're you're, you're still using those classic uh, keyboards and, and rigs. What about the virtual synths? There's amazing virtual synths. The synths you can get a lot a lot more mileage out of the vintage uh, sounding virtual synths uh, than you can say the Fender Rhodes or the Hammonds. Even the Hammond is pretty amazing now with Logic and, you know, Native Instruments has a really good Hammond. Um, I've used that many times, uh, but you can't, you know, with using a microphone, you've got a cabinet, you've got a microphone, you can put that microphone, you can do different things with it. So, uh, that's something you can't really do in the in the virtual environment, or it simulates it. But there's nothing like distance between the actual, uh, you know, the cabinet and the microphone. Ah, yes. It creates a it creates an air. It creates something that that can't be done with samples. Yes. Live the live sound. That's what it is. Yep. It's hearing the room. It's hearing uh, the cabinet. It's, it's, it's good for traveling. You know, if you. You cannot bring the big ham on everywhere you go, you know. I do. I can make, I can make <laughs> one of those plugins. If I, if, I, if I let it run into an amplifier, uh, this going to be like a more like a distorted, um, you know, not like mm. a clean sound. Yeah. It, it sounds very close. I mean. Nord probably has the best uh, as far as. Yeah, Nord is good. Nord has the best Hammond, do you think? They have a very, yeah, they actually are making uh, a thing that's a, it's the the D something or another, and I've played it live, and it's really good. But they've they've got a good Hammond sound. It's still not the real thing, you know? Um, There's, you know, there's not, there's no two Hammonds that sound identical. I have have Hammond on my rider, so everywhere I go, there's a Hammond, and there's, not not you have to, to tweak the the overdrive you go on the you open it up and where the tubes are yep that's how you do it but they're none of them are the same not, not a one that's that's interesting yeah that's interesting it's same thing for, for guitar players you know there's uh you know each guitar really does have its own feel its own personality and, and even to a certain extent their own sounds and, and that's really the amazing thing about that is each guitar player you know, it seems to produce a different sound. It's something to do with, you know, how they hit the strings or, or approach it. But you can, you, can, you can hand the same guitar going through the same rig to a couple different players, and it will sound differently. Absolutely. Well, for example, Wakeman and Tony Banks. You know, yeah. Wakeman have totally different sound on Hammond than Tony Banks, you know. Yep. Nothing alike, but they have, they play Hammond. Well, and Tony's got essentially the same kind of rig. I've stood right on Tony's rig, and it, yeah. he set it up exactly like John. He's got he's got a he's got a a, 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 a Fender amp or something right there too. You know that he he abs it from the Leslie to the amp and the distortion pedal. He does the same thing that Lord did, but it's also the drawbars. It's how you approach the the keys. You know. And and the attack in the you know oh, you don't use it Marshall too Marshall yeah amazing thing well guys that pretty much brings us to the uh, to the end of it all here is there um, any last thoughts you might want to give to like any 
you know, rising keyboard players at this point, like how to, how to jumpstart your career, maybe get a tour gig? You know, keep playing. Just keep playing and hook up with people. Go to, go, at, well, you obviously can't go to clubs now. And, and things are changing a lot. And, and it's a virtual world. And so I guess I would say, if it's a virtual world, then share your material. Get it out there. Show people your work. Show people what you're doing. It doesn't matter if, if you don't think it's any good. It might be good to somebody. You know, um, yeah. just share and uh, get involved and do your thing because that's, that's what it's there. If you can play music, it's a gift. It's a blessing. And share it. That's it for my conversation today with Stevie Stewart from The Suite. You heard him. If you make music, get out there and do it. Share your talents. Keep in touch with them on Facebook. Just look for his name, Stevie Stewart. Visit thimbleslide.com for the guitar slide that frees your finger. It allows you to slide and fret while wearing it. And visit rockmusicalliance.com and join the Rock Music Alliance so you can vote in the RMA Awards. For the Rock Music Alliance, I'm Cole Coleman. Be well, stay well, and join the Rock Music Alliance.